because I'll be honest, sometimes I think, like, especially when I'm in the middle of trying to prepare something like this, it's like, why are we doing this again? <laughs> like, it's so hard, you know? Okay, Carol. Carol, can you hear me? Mm, yeah, yeah. So, grateful, grateful, grateful. In terms of order of service. Okay, Carol. Carol, can you hear me? Yeah, so I think she's going to c- welcome.
Good morning. So my name is Amelia, just to introduce myself, and I just want to say welcome and good morning. Um, so I'm a mom of two. I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and I was reading in Psalm this week, and um, it says... Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. It's in Psalm 100. And I was like, Lord, I don't really enter your courts with thanksgiving very often. It's like stress or overwhelmed or exhaustion or fear. Just with the age that my kids are, I just feel like I'm so overwhelmed all the time. And it was just such a heart check to be like, Am I entering into your presence daily, more than daily, often, with just thanksgiving? Is there joy inside of me that I'm responding to when I'm entering into conversation and his presence and prayer? It's hard to do. <laughs> and I think all of us in different stages of life would say that it's hard to do. So um, we're going to enter in some some time of singing and um, worshiping the Lord. We're going to do some Spotify songs, and it's also kind of silly when we're used to worshiping with a band, but this is a chance for us to enter his course with thanksgiving and praise. Um, so I encourage you to just, like, lay down the things that are so distracting um, and just, like, let's spend some time just really entering into his presence and, and worshiping him. So let's sing.
So I'm going to pray for Carol before she goes up and shares with us. But first I wanted to make one small announcement. I'm inviting all of you to an event that's being held tonight here. Um, it's called Pole Prep. Um, <laughs> so um, last year, me and my husband, or two years ago, me and my husband organized this event. And we'll be doing it again tonight. Um, we had people um, take sections of this elections ballot and research what they could. And then tonight, everyone is going to present between five to 10 minutes on either their candidates or the proposal and share in the most informative and unbiased way possible. Um, 
their information that they research so that people attending um, as well as presenting can kind of gather some information um, from each section of the ballot, each candidate, because it's very overwhelming for me personally, the amount that's on there. So this way we kind of get to share the load of work. And those that are going to come, we have like a printout of the ballot with room to take notes. So you can come and listen and jot down notes, gather some information that might be helpful to you. Um, and like I said, it's as unbiased as possible, um, as informative as possible. So anyone is welcome. It's at 6.30 tonight here in the cafe. Um, we're hopeful to offer some time for discussion afterwards, pending the time. It's going to be a two-hour, pretty strict time frame. Um, so yeah, we welcome you to come. We just really want people to be able to steward their votes well. Um, and that's hard to do sometimes. So invitation to all of you to come. And then if Carol, you want to come up, I'll pray for you real quick. Jesus, we know that you're here. Spirit, we know that you're here. Um, and we're glad that you're here. And you have ordained Carol to speak to us today, to share, to encourage, to challenge. And we pray that you would bless her words and that you would bless her obedience and sharing and then in turn that you would work in our hearts because you do that work. Thanks for being here. Thanks for Carol. Amen. Good morning, Moran Park. Good to be here. Well, there's joy in the house of the Lord. Number one, Tau is here. <laughs> so he always brings joy. Jesus is here. And he is, he overcame overcame and Brody is here <laughs> and Holland Christian won their state championship in soccer so we give a congratulations to them <laughs> right so exciting times in Holland these days and I am here to share with you um, the daunting and like privilege of opening the, the start of the, of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. We're studying Matthew together for a couple of weeks now. We've come to a little juncture. We had a, we had a time to reflect last week. And so just because of that little break, I want to take a minute to like review a little bit of what we've seen in light of uh, what we've done with the epic story in the past, kind of review what's happened in Matthew up to this point. So if you remember in the epic story, there's the creation, and then there's the life of the nation of Israel, and then Jesus comes on the scene with Jesus' death and resurrection comes now the, um, the life of the church, these, this body of believers that he has called out, and am I missing something? The fall. I missed the fall there. Sorry. The <laughs> creation. The fall. <laughs> I knew there's something there's something missing there. And then the new creation. So we're in this time of where Jesus has entered the scene. So remember, up until that point when Jesus comes on the scene, there is there has been something like 400 years of silence. Uh, you know, so God was speaking through prophets in the Old Testament. There's been no word for 400 years. So. Now, Jesus enters the scene, but of course, you know, Jesus is born, but like, a lot of, not a lot of people know that he's special yet. But at the, John the Baptist announced, is, uh, is preaching the gospel of repentance. That's like in preparation for Jesus to basically kind of enter into that seat. John the Baptist is like the next prophet, the forerunner to Jesus. Jesus, so John is baptizing people now think about it. Like we understand baptism here, like you know, now as believers, we're baptized to indicate our faith. Those people were baptized, also an indication of faith. They were looking forward 
they were saying, I am going to turn, I'm, going, I'm putting myself on a path to the kingdom of God, but not knowing what they were going to see yet. Now here comes Jesus to be baptized by John. And John says, uh, no, it should be the other way around. Like, you are greater than, basically, when John says, you know, I, shouldn't, you sh- I, I should be being baptized by you, Jesus. He's saying, you are greater than me. So now it's like kind of like it's, and then there's a voice from heaven. So the people that were there witnessed this voice from heaven say, this is my beloved son. Okay? So slowly, slowly, like it's, be, it's being unveiled that something special is afoot in Israel. Okay? And then Jesus goes and is tested in the wilderness. And in that, Chris, um, when Chris shared at that time with us it was like he what he shared made so much sense to me that Jesus was um, fulfilling in his testing in the wilderness what Israel failed to do in their testing in the wilderness so Jesus is revealed as yeah the true savior After the testing in the wilderness, now that was in our last time with Simon, Jesus calls his first disciples and he preaches a message like John's, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He heals many people. There's like, he's beginning to draw crowds. People are coming. They're walking as much as 30 hours (laughs) to get to Jesus, where Jesus is. He's in Galilee at this time. So they're coming from Syria, they're coming from Jerusalem, they're coming from, if you, well, sorry, I, I could have had a map, but I didn't want to take the time. <laughs> coming from the other side of the Jordan River up to Galilee. So um, people are motivated to get where Jesus is, okay? And here we are. What's Jesus going to do next? He's healed all these people. There's a lot of people around. Think about in our day and age. They post something to social media, get something goes viral or something like that. <laughs> what does Jesus do? Or what would you do? Just put yourself in that place. What does Jesus do? Here's what he does. He goes up on a mountain and preaches a sermon. <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't what I was thinking, you know, like... <laughs> Somehow we, we, we put sermons down, I think, a little bit these days, don't we? It's like, you know, I don't know. But that's what Jesus does. And what does he do in this sermon? This sermon is Jesus revealing the heart of God. And we're going to be doing this, we're going to be like going through this sermon in the next couple of weeks. And you are going to see and hear the heart of God. This is... The light in, in chapter 4, um, the, uh, the verses, uh, uh, let's see, where do I have it? Ah, 416, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. That's Jesus, and he's about to shed some light. So, get ready, here we go. <laughs> Matthew delivers a particular point of view of Jesus. Matthew's point of view, as a, as a Jewish person, Matthew is wanting to help people understand that Jesus is an authoritative teacher, and he's come from God, and he's the fulfillment of the Messiah, of this, the promise of the Messiah. Jesus is that Messiah. So there's lots and lots of places in Matthew where you see, you know, the Old Testament verses about the Messiah referred to as, you know, being Jesus. So, um, if the people who are there going up on that mountain at the time don't realize it at, at the moment, they're going to they're gonna realize it by the time Jesus starts talking that he is the Messiah and he's this authoritative teacher. So, Jesus goes up on a mountain, but not everyone goes with him. Hold on, let me just... Um, I neglected to read a verse here. Um, 
The beginning of this chapter starts like this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to a mountain, on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So the other thing about Jesus going up on this mountain is that, you know, I, I, t- I told you about all those crowds. Not all of them came up on the mountain. The disciples came up on the mountain, okay? So what's the distinction between crowds and disciples? Why didn't everybody go with Jesus? In, again, looking back to chapter 4, we see that Jesus was calling disciples. He called certain individuals that he said, come follow me, and those people left stuff behind. They left their jobs behind. They left their livelihood behind to follow Jesus, okay? Then there's all these other people that are coming because of the healing. So there's sick people, and there's, you know, maybe demonized people, and then there's the people bringing them because maybe they couldn't bring themselves, you know? So there's crowds. So these people had a goal. Their goal was to be healed or to have their friend healed. They have not committed to following Jesus the way those ones that Jesus called have committed. So they're intrigued. Maybe Jesus is kind of like a celebrity. So they're interested, but they're maybe not so committed. So I want to say right here and now, Jesus is not against those crowds. He's not looking down on those crowds. He's happy those crowds are there because Jesus is always appealing to the crowd, come and follow me. So, and when you follow me, when you seek me, you'll find me. So now Jesus sits down to teach. I'm really like explicating just this very first verse because I think it's important. It's the, it's the foundation of this, what's going to happen in this whole sermon. He sits down to teach. What does he say? Is it um, entrance requirements to like Jesus's club? Is it like an idea that ideal, like all of society should live this way? No, it's a description of what is the essence of kingdom life. It's instruction for disciples. Jesus digs into our inner life, seeking to transform us. He wants, he's looking at what motivates us. He's opening it up to us, what motivates us. And a heart that treasures the kingdom will be the starting point. So now we're going to read the Beatitudes. If you would stand for the reading of God's word, I think this is really important. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way, They persecuted the prophets who were before you. Father, I just pray for us today, me and this body, that you will speak to us regarding our heart's desires. Lord, I pray that you would undo us so that you can remake us in your image. Amen. You can be seated. So the Beatitudes get their name from the Latin word for blessing. Some translations use the word happy or fortunate, but I don't feel like these carry that weightier meaning like the old English word blessed. 
because um, blessed to me gives the, uh, the feeling of an inner state. And based on what we just read, you can be blessed even when all hell is breaking loose around you, uh, you're, if, when you're being persecuted, when you are bereft. You, are, you can nevertheless be blessed. A key element of this blessedness is that it, it occurs in relationship with God. And this ties back to what Simon shared two weeks ago. The good news is Jesus, the person of Christ. Even if I'm poor in spirit, even if I mourn, I'm blessed because I have him, whether my feelings follow or not. So in each of these states of loss, of persecution, these are places where we can meet God. The Beatitudes center on themes that are found throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. So the people listening, these disciples that were sitting around Jesus while he's talking, um, they would have a firm grasp on ideas of purity, of righteousness, of um, peace that Jesus is talking about. At the same time, Jesus is kind of turning things upside down in their understanding. So I think he's like shaking things up a little bit. So in Deuteronomy 28, it's like something that would have been really familiar to the people of Israel. Um, it's, it's, it's like Moses' like last sermon, and he taught, it's this awesome chapter. <laughs> Maybe it's two chapters. Anyway, there's two chapters. One that's like blessing and one that's like curses. And, G and God is basically saying, hey, listen, if you obey me, if you stay close to me, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your livestock. I'm going to bless the f your womb, you know, the wombs of the ladies. You're going to have lots and lots of kids. I'm going to bless your crops. I'm going to bless your flocks. Everything is going to be blessed when you just obey me. Just do the things that I asked you to do. So now... What I feel like is flipped upside down here is Jesus is talking about being blessed when you mourn, being blessed when things aren't really going your way. It's a, it's a, um, wh why? How can that be? And again, the way that it can be, the way that you can be blessed even when everything isn't going your way is because you actually then... They were living in obedience to a God they could not see. Now, Jesus is basically saying, you have me among you. The kingdom of God is among you because Jesus is among you. So that's the difference. Now we have the king himself. And even though everything around you might be crumbling, and it was for those people in that time, they were oppressed by the Romans. This is like... <laughs> They were, they were being ruled, they couldn't rule themselves. They were ruled by the Romans and had to follow their rules. They were nevertheless blessed. Each beatitude, you, you can or you don't have to put it up there, um, each beatitude has two poetic clauses, and this structure reveals how the kingdom works in real time. So if you remember in the epic story, we talked about how right now we're living in a time where it's the now and the not yet. We're looking forward to that new creation. So Jesus is saying in this, um, this kind of little the poem is that in the midst of our frustration, we are nevertheless blessed. It, whether we're having difficult, uh, we're having loss, frustration, difficult interpersonal re relationships, we have the presence of God in the Holy Spirit. And in the future, we have that comfort. In fact, we hold that as like a coal, a burning coal of hope in our hearts. So now let's look at these Beatitudes briefly, one by one. The first Beatitude and the last one are both in the present tense. So the blessing is in the present. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So... You are poor in spirit when you recognize your need for God and you approach him in humility. Isaiah 57, 15 says, God is speaking, I live in the high and holy place and with the oppressed and lowly of spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the oppressed. So you can be poor of spirit because of economic issues, like actual poverty, 
but also emotionally oppressed, disillusioned. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess we'll leave it at that. You're in need of God's help, and you know it. When you are in the place of no resources, God says you are blessed in the present. This undercuts the prosperity gospel that says material blessings are a sign of God's approval. God, Jesus says different. Jesus says when you're spiritually bankrupt, when you are not self-sufficient but God-sufficient, sufficient, then you are truly blessed. Now the second through the seventh Beatitudes are in the future tense. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those who mourn are those who have lost something of value. Whether it's material or a loved one or even status. Like the first beatitude, this one starts when you are bereft. You're without the resources to care for yourself. But the promise is in the future tense. The coming of God's kingdom is a comfort that sits with you like that glowing coal. It's you have the presence of Jesus now. You have the, the uh, promise of a future comfort, a future home. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The listeners might have recalled Psalm 3711 when Jesus spoke this beatitude. The humble will inherit the land and will enjoy abundant prosperity. Domineering and aggressive people often get far in this life, but Jesus says the gentle will inherit the earth. Are you good at what you do? Do you have authority in your place of work or in the community? By all means, go forth with confidence that God has placed you there for a purpose. At the same time, you can conduct yourself with gentleness that acts like a magnet, that draws people in to, that, to the good news. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Again, those who hunger and thirst are in need. Righteousness carries with it ideas of both justice and personal purity or piety. God is the only source of this kind of rightness. We long for him to come and make things right in the world, and we also know that that rightness starts inside each of us. We prayed this morning, revival starts inside each of us. We can pray for revival out in the big world in, or in the church, but it starts in each of us. So those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are hungering for it both with, for within themselves and in, in this world around us. So we're, we're longing for God to come and make things right in the world, um, and we're, we're aligning ourselves with what's important to him is important to me. And when we do that, when we align our values like with his values, we come to know him in a deeper way. The fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment is in the future, but right now, seeking him and finding him and course correction with his truth gives us great satisfaction. And then our commitment to justice in this world flows out of that transformed heart because now we have God's heart. We have God's heart for the world. Blessed are the merciful, merciful for they will be shown mercy. Merciful people are, are like God. God doesn't give me what I deserve, but instead he gives me what I don't deserve, love and grace. People who are self-satisfied or self-righteous, like the Pharisees of Jesus' day, they don't need mercy. They think they've got it figured out and it's all figured out within themselves. They have a strong commitment to holiness, which is commendable, but they can err on the side of harshness, forgetting that mercy was always God's prescription. The prophet Micah said, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Remember, Jesus is saying these things to a bunch of Jewish people on the side of a mountain. As he's saying these things, it's resonating with them. Wait, this is what God was saying all along. <laughs> Yet somehow it's different. He's speaking with authority. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purity was a huge thing to the religious people of that time. It not only indicates outward cleanliness, about which there were many laws in the Jewish laws, but also an inward purity. And, and again, resonating with what the people there would have known. Jesus, I mean, uh, David's prayer, create in me a clean heart, O God. They would know that prayer. They would know this would resonate with them. Jesus was not discounting the outward purification, but he was saying that without inner purity, undivided devotion to God, outer purification was not worth a whole lot. The future reward, they shall see God. We shall see God. It's to see his face. What could be better? The promise of Revelation 22.4 is they will see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. We're going to see him someday. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The peace of the Bible has the idea of completeness or wholeness. I think, <clears throat> at least my feeling or idea about peace is just like kind of like the absence of conflict. But it's much more in the Bible. It's, it's, it's a full person wholeness. It's, it's, a, it's a completeness, body, soul, and spirit. So there were people at the time in Israel that when they're hearing this, and these guys, again, they'd be so clued into this, that were vying for like kind of supremacy. Even among the people, the leaders of Israel, there were like these zealots that were trying to... Uh, overthrow Roman rule, and then there are the religious leaders. So there was like jockeying for position kind of a thing. But Jesus is calling his disciples to a gospel of peace under the kingship of the Prince of Peace. And the reward for this peacemaking, <clears throat> trusting God for the wholeness that human systems cannot achieve, is that we'll be called sons of God. Sons are heirs and they carry the Father's name and the legacy forward. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's clear these beatitudes are not entrance requirements to the kingdom. Otherwise, Jesus would be asking us to seek persecution. Further, this is not suffering because of natural consequences of our behavior. <clears throat> this suffering is because we've been standing for righteousness. And the reward of the kingdom of heaven is like in the first beatitude, in the present tense. This is both a dear hope for the future and a solid assurance for today. We are, when we are um, persecuted, we have a clear picture of our Lord and our Savior for whom we are being persecuted. <laughs> it gives us hope. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, <clears throat> because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This seems kind of like a repeat of the one before, blessed are those who are persecuted. But if you'll notice something, those who are persecuted is kind of like an all y'all. It could be any of us, you know. But in this one, it says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you. Um, it seems like this difference is that Jesus is talking directly now to those people who are listening, sitting right in front of him. Now it's, he's talking to the disciples and he's preparing them for the persecution they're sure to face because of him. And remember, Jesus just started his ministry. He just started healing and teaching and calling disciples, but he sees their persecution in the future. Um, in fact, I think just before this, they learned of John the Baptist being put in prison. So even they might have had a sense of, oh, 
we're, we're rocking boats here. We're disturbing the waters here. So um, he's preparing them for what they might face in the future. And Jesus does affirm that the reward is not fully realized in this life, but in heaven. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. So it's something to look forward to. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? <laughs> Did you come in here tired today? Don't you love Jesus? <laughs> Don't you love the Father who sent him? He came and lived among us. He's already lived 30 years of life and knows what it's like to live like <laughs> on this earth. He struggled with what we do daily. He knows the weaknesses and the limitations and the pain that are part of being human. He doesn't paint a rosy picture of our current life situation or give, uh, give us unattainable standards or even promise what he can't fulfill. He meets us right where we are and he says, if you can live faithfully here with me, you're blessed and you will be blessed. In this world, you'll have trouble, but be of good courage, I've overcome the world. We have a prayer team and we have a discernment team serving us today. So if you guys could come up while I um, offer a couple of applications. At the start, we said that this sermon was addressed to disciples. So are you a disciple or are you just one of the crowds? Are you watching from the sidelines, curious about what Jesus will do next, but not quite in the game? Or are you all in? Before you can engage with this teaching today and, and what's to come in the Sermon on the Mount, you must decide if it's for you. Are you a disciple? Keep in mind, if you're one of the crowd, Jesus is still glad that you're here. <laughs> He's always appealing to the crowd, follow me, while at the same time teaching his disciples. But what's standing in the way of you making your commitment to Jesus today? What is worth missing out on Jesus? If you'd like to come and pray about that, you're most welcome. Are you living a life of trying to tick boxes and do all the right things? Or is Jesus himself your good news? If you're a, a Christ follower who still somehow feels a little bit trapped, I invite you today to rest in him. And you can come and have prayer about that too. Did any of these Beatitudes especially strike you as timely for this moment in your life? If so, I encourage you to tuck them in your memory and ask the Lord to work that out in your life then let someone know how it goes. One of us here, we'd love to hear what God is doing in your life. Sharing what God is doing in our lives is how we live as a Christian family together. We're gonna sing one more song and the prayer team and the discernment team are here. If you have something that you feel like the Lord said to you and we'd like you to share it with the discernment team, we'll test it together and uh, it might be something that's for the whole body. And then also the prayer team is here to pray with you.
Sean shared uh, with us that um, the Lord gave him something before he came in, and it was affirmed by what Carol said today, and so he asked if he could share that. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, so uh, there's a, a verse in the New Testament that says that mercy rejoices against judgment, and uh, it's in James. And um, sometimes, you know, in life, in everybody's lives, we have things that we've failed at or that maybe we've even intentionally pursued that have been, uh, have brought judgment. But when those things happen in our lives, that the mercy is kind of like that picture that the black, the black behind the cross actually makes that cross kind of pop. It stands out. And so when we have a difficult life maybe that we were coming out of, that the mercy of God and what he's doing in our life just shines even more powerful. So, yes, there's hurt in the past, perhaps, but don't let that defeat you. Just let mercy shine even that much brighter. That song was our benediction. Um, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority. Amen. Go in peace, Moran Park. We love you.